So let, let me pray for the offering. I want to pray for the service. Uh, and then I just really, I just want to jump right in, if that's okay. We're just going to jump right in and uh, see, see what God's got for us today, okay? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And God, we thank you uh, for the tithes and offerings. God, we thank you for the hearts and, and the hands that brought them. God, we pray that they were cheerful because we understand your word says that you, you love a cheerful giver. But Father, if they weren't, God, they've been better off just to keep it. So God, we, we pray that you would bless them in the same manner that they blessed you. God, we understand that we're no longer under the law. And Father, I hear that conversation a lot about the tithe is the law. And we're not under the law. We don't have to tithe. And yet in your word, Father, the tithe appeared before the law did. So God, the tithe was even outside the law. So God, we pray that uh, not that we would hold it to a legalistic value, Father, but that we would understand that it's a good starting place. And God, since we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Father, since we, we have seen the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, God, we pray that we would give that much more. God, I pray that we would give that much more, not just of our, our finances, God, but that we would give that much more of our time. God, that we would be willing to invest into your ministry because we understand that we can't outgive you. And God, as I heard the story of Josh and giving the $100 bill and then, Father, you giving it back. And God, I pray that other people would experience things like that. God, I pray that they would understand that you've got them. Father, regardless of how it looks, Father, your plan is so much more. God, you've already provided the miracles. God, you've already provided the finances. God, we just have to get to the moment in time where it's that. So, God, we pray that you would bless this. We pray that you'd bless the hands. God, I pray that you'll bless your word. Father, that it will carry forth and, and accomplish everything that you've sent it out to do. God, we pray that today, if there's someone in here or online who doesn't know Jesus, God, I pray that they would hear something that might plant a seed, hear something that might water a seed. And God, your Holy Spirit would draw them because we understand your word says that unless the Spirit draws them, they can't come anyway. So God, I pray your Holy Spirit would be busy about his work. God, most of all, we pray that people would just have come today to hear something from you. Again, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people feel like you can belong here? Like you, and maybe some of you guys are thinking, what in the world does that mean? Let, let, me, let me share what that means. Uh, Jesus said that he just simply wanted us to belong, right? He said, follow me. He didn't put a bunch of stipulations. He didn't put a bunch of stringent conditions. He didn't say that you had to wear a three-piece suit. He didn't say, he said, just come follow me. Come hang out. Come belong. And guys, that's really the atmosphere that we're, we're trying to create here at Bayshore is we just want you to feel that you can just come belong. I'm not asking you to believe the way we believe. I'm not asking you to do any of that yet. I just want you to come hang out because what I know about Jesus, and I, I watch this in my own life, we helped plant a church before, we, before I was saved. My wife was already saved, but we helped plant a church. I thought I was saved, Brother Garth, but I, you know, I was lost in a ball in high weeds, but I spent time with Jesus, right? I, I drove the pastor places probably two and three times a week. I was always with him. I was always with someone in the church and what I found was because I felt like I belonged, they weren't judging me. They weren't saying, well, look at him or look, you know his past, you know what he comes from. They weren't doing any of that. They just kind of let me hang out. They, they let me be there. Now, they didn't let me on the platform, right? Poor people. Uh, they, they, amen. 
Who is that guy you're sitting next to? Alex. He looks much older than the other version. Uh, so, but they just let me hang out. They let me belong. I felt like I could just come and just be me. I didn't have to have a facade. If I had hurts and hang-ups, I could, I could share them. People were there to pray with us. It was during the recession, the, the downturn in the economy. Many of you guys remember that. It affected a lot of you. But it was during that time that, you know, the Lord began to break through my heart. And it was like I had people all around me that I saw what Jesus really looked like. I, I saw them living it out. But it's because they allowed me to come and just belong. Just be there. So, guys, that's what we want here at Bayshores. We want you to come and just feel like you belong. Right? I, white, yellow, black, green, red, it doesn't matter. Rich, poor, skinny. I wasn't going there. Uh, we, we just want you to come and feel like you can belong. Because this is what I know. When you begin to belong and you have the opportunity to be around, Jesus will change you. Jesus will get a hold of you. Because you're going to watch people go through some stuff, and they have Jesus, and you'll be like, whoa, how did that happen? How did they stomach that? Well, it's because of Jesus. You can turn me down in the monitor or something just a little bit. Uh, so it's, it's the belonging first, guys. I'm convinced that if we can't get people onto the pro- not into the church, it's just a building. But if we can't get people onto the property, if we can't get people to hang out with the church... They're never going to hear Jesus. Right? We live in a society today that what you say doesn't matter. It's what you do. Right? That's why they say communication. Communication is about 10% verbal and about 80-something percent body language. It's what you do that people are hearing. It's not what you say. So it's important for us to be able to belong. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to back off. I'm not saying that, hey, we're going to become one of those... uh, sissified churches. I'm not saying that it's going to become a self-help and wealth church. I'm not saying that we're not going to call sin what it is because it is. Jesus called sin what it was. But what I'm saying is I want people to feel comfortable enough that they can belong. I want them to understand that we love them enough that as we begin to share the truth with them, it's not like you've hit them in the face with a two by four, right? Some of you guys might have watched that video this week that I put on Facebook about abortion. Now, Hear me, I, I'm not for abortion. Like I hear people making these new laws and they're like, Florida's got a law uh, or something on the floor right now where they're talking about uh, abortion and if, if you can hear the heartbeat, they want to make it illegal to have an abortion. I, I think that's great, right? I think it should be if it's the baby's conceived, it should be illegal to have an abortion. That's my opinion. And uh, if you don't agree with that, you can preach next week and convince me why it's okay, okay? But... So I'm not saying that, but what I said about the abortion thing was that we, the the church, we, the body of Christ, need to quit hitting people in the face with two-by-fours about the abortion topic, and we just need to love them. See, I understand it's wrong, but you know what? If it's wrong and I yell and scream at you, guess what? You're just going to turn around and go do whatever you want. But if it's wrong and I'm there to love you, if it's wrong and I'm there to help you, you're liable to listen to me a little bit. It's like in construction, right? Garth and Terry, you guys might appreciate this one. It's like in construction. If you shoot yourself in the foot with a nail gun, right? Listen, I I didn't say hand because Terry's done that. But uh, if you shoot yourself in the foot with a nail gun, 
You've been through that, right? You know not to hold the two by four up with your foot again. You, I mean, you know not to do something stupid. So you want to share that with somebody else. But if every time they go to do that and all you're doing is screaming and yelling at them, they don't want to hear you, right? What's going to happen? They're probably going to shoot themselves in the foot with a nail gun. But if you're kind-hearted, if you're loving about it. See, Jesus was loving about it, wasn't he? I, I think of the, the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, whether she's a prostitute or not, I don't know. But I think of her, she's cast down in front of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, you prostitute, hey, you tramp, quit doing it. First, he showed that, hey, I was going to love you, I'm not going to condemn you. And then he, at the end, he didn't say, hey, go back and you can go hang out with whoever, right? He said, hey, go back and sin no more. There was still truth there, but there was love first. And guys, that's really what belonging is going to be. We're going to be able to show people that we love them. There's some of you guys that are here because of that. There's some of you that keep coming because you know we love you. Because you know we love, not that we're doing a bunch of stuff for you, but you know we love you. See, so if you can't belong somewhere, you're never going to get to the second B. You're never going to get to the believing. See, we want people to come and belong, not believe the way we do right now. Just come belong, because eventually you will believe the way we believe. And you say, well, what does that mean? You just said you were Baptist. What does that mean? I, listen, being Baptist is not a theology. Let me just be real clear about that right now. Baptist, although I used to say, I'm glad I'm Baptist, because if the rapture comes, I'll fly first class. Okay? Some of you guys will get that tonight. Um, Baptist does not mean, every person who calls himself a Baptist is not going to heaven. Do you hear me? Every person who calls himself a Methodist isn't going. Catholic, Presbyterian. If you call yourself a Muslim, you definitely ain't going. Let's be real. Right? So it's not that Baptist is a theology. Here's what Baptist really means, just so you know. John the Baptist was not our, like, our, our centerpiece. He's not like, hey, we can look at you and say, hey, you don't have John the Methodist. We have John the Baptist, right? That's not that. Baptist just simply means this. The Baptist theology is simply they just take the Bible for what it is. That's it. My hope, I, I wish they hadn't titled it Baptist, because my hope and prayer would be that we all... Regardless of whatever denomination that you sunk yourself into as man-created denominations, right? Regardless of that, my prayer is that you would just take the Bible for what it is. And guys, there's some good stuff in the Bible. But let's be real, there's some hard stuff in the Bible too, right? Does anyone get confused in the Old Testament or is that just me? Like, when you get to, like, the book of Numbers, which I don't preach in Numbers because I'm not real good at math, so I stay away from there. But when you get into, like, the book of Numbers or Leviticus, and they start talking about all these names, like, we got someone among us, and when they get to the, the names, they're like, yeah, who, who you call it? What you, Bob? Right? Because it's like, why are all those names there? It's confusing. And then, and then you get to, the, like, the story of David. And David is a man after God's own heart, Right? He is after God's own heart. Nobody else is called that way. But he's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's a liar. It's confusing. Right? You got Abraham, who if you're a born-again believer, you've been grafted into the family of Abraham. Right? So he's your great-great-great-great-great-grandpapa. He's even a little bit older than Norman uh, Alex. Not much, but just a little. But... You've been grafted into that family, but Abraham was a liar. 
but he was called the friend of God. It's confusing sometimes when you begin to read all that. So then we get to the gospel, right, to the four gospels, to the good news, to Jesus, and we think that, oh, it's all done. Look, God has provided all of this. No. I want you to catch something about Jesus. Jesus wasn't like a new story. He was a continuation of the story. He was the next chapter. See, all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is spoken about. We find, like we talked, uh, what was it, Wednesday night, we talked about Abraham offering up Isaac, which was a picture of Jesus. Right? His only son, he offered him up because God told him to. Well, God did what? He offered up his one and only son, John 3.16. Right? So it's just a continuation. It's the next chapter, if you will. If, that makes, if it makes it easier. The Old Testament and the New Testament are two separate books. Right? We, we often hear, well, the Bible is, you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament. And I don't understand the Old Testament. So I, I really don't understand the New Testament either. So I'm just going to like park right here. But they're not two separate books. They, they flow through each other. Right? The gospel began when? Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell... And God came, he clothed them, right? The gospel began because he said, there'll be someone from the woman's seed that will be born. There's the gospel beginning. And then it carries throughout. We have Ruth and Boaz. You have David, you have King Solomon. I mean, it was carried throughout for all of us. So the gospel isn't something brand new. It's not like, oh, here's a new thing. No, the gospel is just a continuation. And see, for us, who live 2,000 years after Jesus, right? For us, it's like brand new. We, we don't understand the Old Testament because we didn't live it. But for the people walking around in Jesus' time, they were there. They heard the stories from Grandma and Grandpa. They heard what had happened, what the miracles God had done. We read about them, and sometimes we think they're fictitious stories. Sometimes I've even heard people say, well, the Old Testament is just a bunch of make-believe stuff. The Old Testament, there's a, a famous preacher, if I called his name right now, some of you would know him. If you didn't know him, you would definitely know his dad. Uh, he said that maybe the Old Testament is just not for us anymore. Now, I would say that I would agree and disagree with him both. I think the Old Testament plays a lot for us. It's not our promise. You can't, take, you can't take stuff in the Old Testament and attach it to your life. It doesn't work that way. They weren't written to you. The New Testament was written to you. So the promises in the New Testament, you can claim. Those are yours. The Old Testament, you did not replace the Israelite people. I don't believe in replacement theology. I don't believe that the church came and the Israelite people, they, they were done. No, I don't believe that. God's going to fulfill his promises to the Israelites. One verse that we talk about that we often hear is Jeremiah 29, 11, Right? For I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. Right? And we claim that, don't we? I mean, we hear that. We claim that. Let's be honest. We do. But do you want to claim the 70 years of slavery that go with that verse? Is it, is it applicable to your life? Certainly. You, you can believe that God loves you. You can believe that he has a better plan for you. But you cannot claim those individual promises because those are not yours. 
you can learn a lot from them. But if you're going to claim 2911, you need to claim the 70 years of slavery too. It's different, isn't it? See, we, we want to take the Bible and we want to superimpose it upon our lives. Here's another thing the church does, guys. We want to superimpose the Bible upon non-believers. Did you know the Bible wasn't written to non-believers? If you're in here today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, what I say today probably isn't like going to go right over your head. There will be some things that you can apply to your life that will help you. But I'm not speaking to you. You kind of get a day off, right? You, I'm, I'm not wagging my finger at you because it wasn't written to you. It's written to the church, to the people who believe in Jesus. So as we continue our study of the book of John, we're in verses 14 through 18. And I, kinda, I, I do enjoy this a little bit because I know exactly where I'm headed the next week. Uh, it gives you guys an opportunity. You may not know where we're going to stop, but you know where we stopped last week. So you can begin to read and you, you kind of have that opportunity. So the Bible says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and explained, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side. He has revealed him. It's interesting, isn't it? It makes us... What in the world is John? Now, we understand verse 14, I hope, because we've been beating on it for two weeks, right? John 1.1 began out, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We know that the Word is Jesus. So here we go. John is doing it again, isn't he? But what he's doing is he's going to show us that Jesus actually displays the gospel for us. That's number one in your notes. Number one is the gospel is displayed in Jesus. Here's a, a real live video of Jesus. We get the real gospel. We get the picture laid out there in verse 14 for us. Because we understand, I hope, by now, we understand that the word is Jesus. So anytime we hear the word, we know that that's Jesus. Or if we hear Jesus, we know that he's the word. Right? But it goes on. It says the word became flesh now listen jesus did not indwell a man jesus did not like fake like he was a man jesus came and was really all jesus he was born as a baby not he didn't like overtake someone like a demonic thing right jesus was jesus through and through if you cut jesus's dna you'd find that jesus was jesus okay he became flesh he laid aside all of his glory in heaven, all of his deity, and he came to be born as a baby to a peasant woman. He became flesh so that we could see the gospel. See, up until that point, they had heard about the gospel. They had heard about the Messiah, but they'd never seen the Messiah. They had never seen the gospel, the good news. Jesus came born as a baby. He became flesh. So that we could see what he really was. Amen. See, that, that should like make us stop and think about that just for a second. You hear about the gospel all the time, right? 
We talk about the gospel, the good news, but Jesus displayed it in the fact that he became human and you could lay your eyes upon him. You could touch him. He was real. Even after his resurrection and he met with Thomas, he said, Thomas, take your hand and stick it in my side. Reach up and grab the scars that are there so that you can know that I'm real. He became flesh for us. Why? Because I'm just, let's be honest. Here's some transparency. Some of you guys will be honest enough to do this with me. Others of you guys are going to lie. But if, if I was God and you screwed up, I would have hit redo. I just wiped you all out and started again. Right? Satan was a created being, right? Angels are created, right? So if I was God and Satan did that, I'd zapped and been done. God didn't, though. God didn't. The Bible says before the foundations of the world were laid that this plan was already there. So he knew what was going to happen, but he did it anyways. That's like, Garth, you know that if you step outside that door, you're going to get hit, hit in the face with a two-by-four. And you're dumb enough to walk out the door anyways. What are we going to do? We're going to look at Garth and say, well, you deserve it. Right? God knew that if he created man because Satan would fall, he knew that if he did that, man would fall too. Then he knew that verse 14 was going to have to happen. The word would have to become flesh. His one and only son would have to leave heaven, be born as a baby to a peasant woman. Now, this wasn't a plan that like God took from the hip and he didn't like roll with it as, it was, as eternity was rolling through. He, he planned it all out. He already knew. And yet he did it. But why? Why did Jesus have to become flesh? I'd submit to you, A, is he had to become flesh so that he could understand the same temptation that you go through, he went through. He had to be able to understand that so he became flesh. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that, the, that he became flesh so that he could go through the same things, yet be untempted by them or unbeaten. He was still tempted. He had to be really tempted. Just like when we read about Jesus going into the, uh, into the desert and being tempted by Satan for 40 days. Let me tell you, that was real. We, we often think, well, he was God. He couldn't be. He was 100% man, too. He was 100% man, 100% God. The God part of him couldn't sin and the man part of him wouldn't sin. He had to be tempted. Why? So that we could relate. See, we don't serve a God who stayed up on the mountain and said, hey, climb your way up. We serve a God that said, hey, I'm coming to you. I know where you're at when you pray and you say, God, I'm going through this, Jesus. I don't know. Jesus says, no problem. I've been there. I got it. Don't worry about it. I got, and he had to become flesh so that he could do that. I went last night to a uh, loving hand service uh, just over here, just, just around the way. And they'll be back. Don't worry about it. Uh, I think they're, they're due back here in May or something. We try to have them twice a year. And, uh, but I, I heard someone, I heard one of the new guys, uh, Olaf, and he, he said this, and it, it really rang true for today. He said, you know, I had to go through all this stuff. He was addicted to meth for 15 years. 
addicted to heroin for 10 of the 15 years, while he was still on meth, he said, I'd steal anything. He said, my mama would set her purse down, I'd snatch it and run off. He said, I'd steal everything. And I never understood why this guy here died and this guy here died, but I was still here. Listen, we serve a God that was tempted just like that. And we have to go through some of that stuff. Why? So that we can relate to other people. Listen, you couldn't relate to anyone if you've never been hurt. You wouldn't know what it means to be clean if you hadn't been dirty. Right? I mean, there's a song out there about that. I, uh, right? Isn't there? Uh, I can't think of who, who sings it. Um, I was just listening to it on the radio. Uh, probably t- everything's Tomlin. Yeah. So, uh, but we wouldn't be able to relate to someone if, Miss Laura, you couldn't relate to Miss Cheryl if you hadn't been through cancer. Could you? You guys wouldn't even have met. Cindy couldn't relate to someone. Uh, Miss Mary, I don't see her right now, but okay, Miss Mary who's going through some kidney problems, some kidney failure, possible transplant. Cindy can relate to her. Why? Because she went through it. See, understand, I can relate to people who've been in foster care, who've been abandoned. Why? Because I've been there. I've been through it. It's the fact that, and you don't have to go through the same stuff, but if you've ever been hurt, you can relate to someone who's been hurt. Jesus became flesh so that he could relate to us. That's why it's called a personal relationship. A one, it's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a personal relationship. I've heard people say, well, pastor, we think that you're Ill, irreverent the way you talk. And I'm thinking, let me look up that word. I'm not even sure what that means, right? Uh, I said, what do you mean? Well, you just talk to God like, you know, he's standing right there next to you. Like, like you just talk to him like he's uh, another person. Yes. Because I believe that's what we're supposed to do. We Don't fear God. In that sense, you, should, you better have some reverence for God. You better fear him in the sense that he's like your daddy. And your daddy, when you jacked up, he'd jack you up, right? So you better fear God in that sense. But you ain't got to fear God to go talk to him. Because he sent his son to become flesh, to be tempted in the same way that you are, so that you could relate to him. That, see, I don't think people understand that enough. We hear, well, you need to be forgiven of your sins. Well, you need to repent. And you do. But I'm not asking you to be forgiven of your sins and repent of your sins and change your life. What I'm doing is saying, come belong in an area that you can learn who Jesus is. And then eventually you'll be able to believe in him because you're going to understand he's been through the same crap that you did, except he made it clean. He didn't succumb to it. So he had to be tempted. So he had to become flesh so that he could be tempted, right? B, he had to become flesh so that he could be our example, do you remember the bracelets? And we're going to work on making some new bracelets for our church. But do you remember the bracelets a couple years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago now, the WWJD? What would Jesus do, right? And we, we, we used to always, you know, eventually it was like, man, do I really have to hear that again? It just got tiring. But do you know if you just start to read your Bible and you can just stay in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you ain't even got to go past it. If you just start reading your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get one of those red letter editions, right, Tom? Get one of those word, one of those that you know this is what Jesus is saying. And if you'll just focus on the red letter and what Jesus did in his life, if you lived your life like Jesus lived his life, you'd be doing pretty well. Because he lived it perfectly to give us an example of how we should treat other people, 
how we should love other people. I was talking with uh, Miss Cindy and Mr. Ron yesterday, and we, we were talking about premarital sex. Oh, I know. I said the three-letter word in church. I'm sorry. I won't say premarital again. <laughs> so we were, we were talking about that. And, you know, we look and we say, well, in the Old Testament, that was wrong. Well, in the New Testament, it's wrong too, right? It's called fornication in the New Testament. He expanded the word. But uh, we look at that. But here's what it is. Let's be honest about it. When you have premarital sex with someone, what you're saying is, I don't value you as much as I value me. I don't value you as much as I do me, which is what? Contrary to what Jesus said, right? Jesus said what? Love one another. He said to love them in the same way that you love yourself. So premarital sex, well, I'm saying that I don't value you the same way I value you. Because I'm just going to be real. It hurts everybody. It just does. If, if you made it to your marriage and that was it, I applaud you. I really do. You don't have to live with some of the heartache and pain of the other. But it hurts everybody. Why? Because we're not valuing ourselves. Why? Because we didn't live up to the example that Jesus gave us. Love one another as you've loved yourself. He's our example. He gives us everything to do. You know, Jesus hung out with sinners. How many sinners do you hang out with? Mm, church. We let Ben come, I guess. <laughs> See, he gave us the example of what we need to do. Then all we have to do is do it. But he had to become flesh to give us the example, right? Because if we just had a bunch of words from a guy who was in heaven who never walked the earth, we may not want to believe it. We would believe that he's more like the Greek mythological characters like Zeus and all of those guys, right? But we serve a God who became flesh so that he could be tempted in the same way that we're tempted, so that he could provide the example of how he made it through temptation, how he loved other people, how he always put himself second, sometimes third and fourth. But he was never first. I don't believe that even as he sat down at Mary and Martha's house and Mary sat down with you know, and was doting on him and Martha was running around. I don't believe as much as Martha might have wanted to serve Jesus first. I, I just have this thought that maybe Jesus said, no, serve him first. Give him the food first. I'll be okay. Serve them first. We find that even as he fed the 5,000, we don't see that Jesus ate first. We see that he blessed the food he gave it to the disciples and said, pass it out. And then when it was done, they collected it back. Did they eat while they were passing it out? Listen, if you ever worked in a kitchen, you know you eat while it's going out. Right? I'm bringing you a steak and fries. You're going to have a couple less fries by the time I get to your table. I don't wait tables anymore, so you're all okay. Uh, and you don't see me in the kitchen when we have a potluck. I'm not the first one in there. So you're okay still. Now, I do eat my dessert first, and let me just share with you why. Because if Jesus decides to return, I want to make sure that Satan has a little bit less, just in case. So I eat my dessert first, because I think you all should, too. No, I don't. You guys should eat the vegetables first, and I'll, eat, I'll take care of your dessert. So he had to become flesh. Why? So he would understand our temptations. So he could provide an example. And here's the most important reason he had to become flesh. He had to be able to die. God cannot die. 
He can't. It's, it's a physical impossibility. He cannot die. Angels, unfortunately, don't die either. Because if they did, I believe that we probably wouldn't deal with about a third of them right now, right? But what they will be is they'll be locked away. They'll be placed in a, in a place of torment. And if you end up in hell with them, you'll end up as a trespasser because hell wasn't created for you. Hell was created for the devil and his fallen angels. Unfortunately, the Bible says that hell has enlarged itself, right? Because there's lots of people going. See, Jesus died so that people wouldn't go. He provided an example. He died for sins that were not his. But he had to become flesh to be able to do that. If he hadn't become flesh, he couldn't have died. But he did so that he could give us the example, not just the example of what it means to be able to die for someone else. But he he wanted to die so that he could take his perfect blood, because he was perfect, right? He was spotless. And lay it upon the atonement seat of God and pay for all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. You know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died upon the cross, he paid for your sins. And as I said earlier, most of you guys weren't even around except for Norm and Alex. So, you like Alex? You don't like Norm? <laughs> oh. oh, no, no, no. I, I love Miss Alex. I, yeah, I'm afraid of her too, so yeah. <laughs> so understand that Jesus became flesh so that he could be tempted, he could provide an example, and he could die. That'd be great if that was it, right? And I could say, hey, amen, God bless you, have a great day. You'd be out 10 minutes early, but you know I'm not done. So, number two, Jesus came so that we would understand the gospel. See, the gospel is not just displayed in Jesus, but it's understood in Jesus. In verse 14, it says, as we continue, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Real quick Old Testament lesson. Do you know what God dwelt in in the Old Testament? A tent. Before they built the temple. Do you know what God dwells in today? His family. But see, it became, Jesus had to become flesh and dwell among us, be with us, and that's like God's tabernacle now, right? Jesus explained what the tabernacle was because God could only dwell in the tent, God could only dwell in the temple, and all of a sudden God is walking around with us in the form of Jesus Christ. So we have the gospel now, it's being explained, it's being understood, because now we're starting to begin to see that Jesus really is the glory of God. Jesus really is the personification of the Lord. He's walking around with us. He dwelt among us. It said, we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus showed us what glory was. We read in the Old Testament that Moses wanted to see the face of God, right? And God said, if you do that, you're going to be a dead man. So we, we actually have a, an old hymn, Cleft in the Rock, right? And, but the Bible says that God took Moses and placed him in the cleft of the rock and passed by him and said, you can see my hind parts and you'll be okay. The Bible goes on to say that when Moses came down off the mountain, that there was a glow about Moses. He had seen God. 
See, there's a glow about Jesus. There's, we, we, we saw his glory. We saw the fullness of God wrapped up in the madness of Jesus. He showed us all of God's glory in how he lived, how he treated people. That's how we saw Jesus. The gospel began to be understood in Jesus because of the glory of God. And then it also, the prophets. John the Baptist was considered the last prophet. So just let me say real quick, this is my theological plug. If someone calls himself a prophet, ask them to predict what happens tomorrow and then run. Okay? They're, they're done. I believe people can speak words of encouragement as Josh did. I believe that. But I don't believe in prophets. John the Baptist was considered the last one. John the Baptist even goes on to say that there in the verse 15 it says, John testified concerning him and explained this. This was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. See, John the Baptist considered the last prophet, but Jesus ties all the prophets in together in his fulfilling everything. Do you realize that in order for you to fulfill one, one prophetic statement from that Jesus fulfilled, just one, it would be like taking the entire state of Texas, filling it three foot deep with silver dollars, painting one silver dollar red, dropping it from a helicopter, leaving, coming back a week later and finding that silver dollar. That would be the same chance that you have of fulfilling one. Jesus fulfilled over 300. He nailed them. Bang, bang, bang. Why? Because he was God. Why? Because the prophets spoke as God moved them to speak. God had an advantage. They were telling him what, it, what was coming, and Jesus lived as man, also God. He already knew what to do. See, Jesus' birth was prophesied. So what did he do? He made the prophets look like a genius when he showed up, didn't he? What about the day that he came riding in on the mule, the donkey? Right? He made him look like a genius again because here he comes and it was there. Down to the very day. And they missed it. You know, in Isaiah, it talks about a suffering servant. It talks about a man that will be beaten for our transgressions. It talks about a man who will be whipped 40 times, save two, 38 times, right? Do you know how many times the Romans whipped Jesus? 38 times. Because they believed that if you whipped a man 40 times, you'd kill him. So they didn't want to kill him. They were trying to make it last. See, I want you to understand that God used the Romans to fulfill the prophecy spoken about Jesus as Jesus came to live it out. He made all the prophets 100% true. That's why I tell you that there can't be a prophet today. Because if a prophet is ever wrong, they were killed. So if you want to prophesy, feel free. See, understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies. Now we have one out there hanging, don't we? And we, we like to, uh, as preachers, we get around sometimes, we begin to talk about the rapture. The tribulation. When is he coming? I have my own view. You have your own view. And that's fine. Do you know what? Not my view, not your view is going to get me to heaven one step closer. 
not your view nor my view, when it happens, is going to matter a bit in heaven. What's going to happen is when we're going up and my view was right, I'm going to look at you and say, I told you I was right. Right? No, no one's going to care. But we divide camps over that stupid stuff. There is a prophecy out. We don't know the hour or the time that Jesus Christ will return. Jesus even said himself that the son doesn't even know. Only the father. So you hear these heretics say, well, Jesus is coming back here. Jesus is coming back here. You know what? Even if they had the right day, even if they had the right day, I think God would change it to make sure they were wrong. I'm just saying, I just think, you know, God is not a liar. So if no one knows, no one knows. So even if you pinpoint it right, you're still going to be a liar because God's going to change it. So I just think that. So anyways, uh, verse 16, it says, Indeed, we all, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we have the law fulfilled by Jesus, right? We, we understand that. But did you know the law technically provided no grace, but it was a, a method of grace for God. Because in order for you to know you were doing wrong, you had to have something to look at, right? So you were doing it wrong. You have these 10 things. By the time the Israelites got done with them, you had like 762 things, right? But there was grace there because you knew you couldn't keep it, but you could offer your offering to God and he would forgive it. But had the law not been given, you'd never experience the grace of God. Now, Jesus came in grace and truth, right, to fulfill the law so that when you screw up, anyone ever screwed up? The rest of you guys are liars. Um, when you screw up, Jesus, being full of grace and truth, can provide you grace for your mess up when you ask for forgiveness of it. So he gave us grace. And then finally, we find in verse uh, 18, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has what? Revealed him. Who did he reveal? He revealed God. So Jesus, we can understand the Father now because of Jesus. Jesus goes on to tell you that because you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because you know me, you know the Father. Because I know Jesus loved me, I know the love that God has for me. Romans 5 and verse 8, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent Christ, his only son, to come and die. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for the world, right? So God is showing us his love in Jesus, but Jesus came and lived it out. It's one thing, Ryan, for you to tell me you love me. It's another thing for you to do something and show me you love me, isn't it? It's one thing for God if God had just stayed in heaven and said, you know what, Garth, I love you. It's another thing when he sent Jesus, though, to show it. Amen. See, Jesus personified the Father, and he showed us what love really was. It's one thing, I think the Bible says somewhere, it's one thing to die for someone that you love, a brother, family, friend, right? Totally another thing for you to die for someone who hates your guts. Yet Jesus hung upon the cross for the guys who beat him. For the soldier we read about that stuck him in the side. He was dying for him. 
for the Pharisees and Sadducees that lied to have him killed. He died for them. For Judas Iscariot, he died for him. For the murderer, for the thief, for the liar, for the adulterer, for the Muslim, for the Hindu, for the atheist, the agnostic. Jesus came and died for them. Why? To show us the Father. To show us how much the Father really loved us. See, that's where I think when we want people to believe the way we do, that I think, guys, is the part that we miss. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. So when, you, when you've accepted that gift, shouldn't you love that person enough to do whatever it takes? Whatever it takes. I'm a whatever it takes kind of guy, whatever it takes kind of preacher. If that means we got to go down the road and preach in a bar to see people saved, guess what? Let's go. I'm a whatever-it-takes kind of guy because Jesus did whatever it took to get a hold of me. Now, I'm not going to sin. I think that would be counterproductive. I think that you'd be eating out of the bag of stupid if you do that. But you know what benefit takes us making meals and going downtown to feed the homeless? That's what it takes. If it takes when it's 40 degrees outside, opening up the fellowship hall to let the homeless come and stay so they're warm, that's what it takes. If it takes using our facility to allow different NAAA and whatever other A groups come. And listen, I've been here almost four years. I've not seen a single NA person walk through the door that meets over here on Tuesdays or Saturdays, unless you're here right now. See, I, I've not seen it. But you know what? It's whatever it takes. Because I didn't come to Jesus the first time I ever heard about him. I didn't come to Jesus because I thought that was what it took. I came to Jesus because I had a safe place. Because I could belong somewhere. And they didn't beat me over the head when I asked a question. They didn't say, well, how, how dare you ask? Is Jesus really God? How dare you ask that? See, Jesus personified the Father when he revealed him to us by living his life and dying for us upon the cross. My question to you is, how are you showing the Father to other people? How are you displaying Jesus to other people? See, this is the next chapter, the gospel. But then you're the next chapter after that. You're the next chapter. I've said this a lot. You've probably heard other preachers say it. I'm sure it's, it's not mine. But some people, the only Bible that they'll ever read, the only Bible that they'll ever read will be your life. Is that the kind of Bible you want them to read? See, there are lots of Bibles out there, right? The Jehovah Witness have a Bible. They print it. And in, in the book of John, they start out this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, no, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Does that change Jesus? You better believe it. Just the simple word a. So that's a Bible, right? Did you know the Muslims have a Bible? It's called the Koran. 
Did you know Jesus is all through their Bible? Did you know that? I mean, if you've been here anytime, you've heard me say it. There, he's all through there. Did you know his death, burial, and resurrection is even in the Koran? He's the only person that rose from, from the dead, and they articulate that in their Bible. But they still believe that Muhammad is the way to, to their paradise. They still believe that they have to work their way there. See, there are lots of places, guys. There are lots of places that say stuff about Jesus. But it's what are they saying about him that matters? What is your life saying about Jesus? That's what matters. So I want to give you a time to be able to come and pray. And ask God to help you. Ask God to reveal in your own life Jesus. Help you to be able to reveal Jesus to other people. So we're going to open the altar. Josh is going to sing a song for us. So while that's happening, I'm going to ask you to come. And maybe you're in here today and you say, you know what, I came in not believing, but now I'm curious. I just got questions. I just want to know who Jesus really is. If, if that's you, you can come and we'll just, we'll take a Bible. We'll get a woman with a woman, a man with a man, and we'll show you in the Bible what Jesus did for you. We'll show you how you can get out of this, the circle of brokenness and move to the gospel, become a new creature. Okay? So let me pray for you, and Josh is going to sing. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you, Father, for what you're doing right now in this very moment. God, we understand there's nothing more important than what's happening right now. So God, I pray that you would move. God, I pray that you would poke and prod. God, I pray that people would come and flood your altar. God, asking for you to show through in their life even more. God, I pray for that one or two that is here today, Father, who doesn't know Jesus, who has never trusted him, who never entered into a relationship with him. God, I pray that they wouldn't be afraid to come and ask a question. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw them. Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Father, we love you and we thank you. Come.